Rob Cartledge of robcartledgeministries.com. Titus 2.1 says, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Multitudes of professed Christians around the globe are perplexed when it comes to doctrine and clearly articulating their faith. Because of this lack of understanding, many Christians are believing the most absurd and heretical beliefs. And due to this, we have seen an incredible increase of cultish views even inside of mainstream churches. This series, Critical Doctrine, is to confront this dilemma with clear and precise teaching on the basic foundational doctrines of our faith. Do you remember last week I was talking about Christology uh, 7 was going to be a study of the future ministry of Christ? Well, I thought it would, I'd be able to cover that in one sermon, but having a look at the contents of it, there's no chance that I can cover it in one sermon. So there's going to be a few in relation to it. But I'm going to cover some really uh, big doctrines, big topics that have, there's much controversy around them and I've studied a lot into the different ver- and various views. I've got my personal view, which I think is quite substantial, which I'm going to put forward, but it's going to take me like one sermon just to put forward one, my view on one element of this. The text that we're drawing from is Proverbs 23.12, which is, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. So we're getting encouraged to apply our heart to instruction to hear the word and to listen and heed the word, that it's wise to want to listen to words of knowledge. Because too much in this day and age, we're, uh, we incline our ears to amusement, don't we? And entertainment. And things that aren't really true, they're fairy tales. And we can get to a point where we really don't care for knowledge or truth at all. So I think it's important that we incline our ears towards truth and start to listen and and heed the the truth of God's word and uh, be transformed by it. So it's just wise to start to desire that. You know, not to desire all this other stuff that the world gets into. Now let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've got a message today prepared, which I think is going to be a real key message that is going to teach us a lot and and help us to be changed and transformed and preparing us for a future time when you do return, Lord Jesus. So I ask this in your wonderful name, that you bless this sermon now, bless the words that I speak, help me to say the right thing and uh, give me insight uh, into the scriptures that I'm going to be quoting today so that we can really get a lot from it. I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, there's our Christology uh, sermon series so far, um, which is a subgroup of uh, critical doctrine. So today we're going to be looking at the future ministry of Christ. As an overview of the future ministry of Christ, today we're going to be looking at the second coming. And, you know, I was astounded to find out how many scriptures relate to the second coming of Christ. It's actually magnificent how many things are actually written in in the New Testament in relation to that. We're going to be looking in the future, a sermon series on this is the rapture of the church, the wrath of the Lamb during the tribulation, just in relation to the you know trumpet blasts and all those things that talked about in Revelation that are being poured out on the earth. We're going to look at how that relates in relation to what is the wrath of God and what is um, not the wrath of God. And things like that. So it's an interesting subject. Also, his millennial reign, which is the thousand years of peace that comes after the tribulation. And also his everlasting reign, which is after the thousand years of peace for eternity. And I think these are really important things because there's some really strange views in relation to these, which I want to sort of clarify just to make sure that we all understand what these different various views are and which view you would probably lean towards. 
you know, I will, of course, preach what I believe is the truth in relation to this. And I've got a lot of uh, scriptures that I that have founded me in that. And I've got a lot of very esteemed men of God that also believe the same way. So, And their views make more sense than the others, in my opinion. So I'll be talking to you about that in, in coming months. The second coming. You know, among believers, the timing of the return of Christ is a hotly debated topic and has resulted in a number of conflicting doctrines. Among people who believe in Jesus and believe in his return, it's really the debate is about the timing, not so much about whether it will happen. Even actually, uh, some people believe that Jesus won't actually return prior to the millennium, but he'll return after the millennium, which is post-millennium, which is what I'll be talking about that at a later time. I don't agree with that. I believe the scriptures are quite clear that he will return pre-the millennium because the thousand years of peace is going to be brought about by him sitting on the throne of David. But I'll go into that in more detail at a later time. But among unbelievers, the reality of Christ's return is debated as to whether it will even occur. So we talk about the coming of Christ as a reality. They don't believe it's a reality whatsoever. We've also seen cults and religions which have been formed as a result of false predictions of his coming, namely the Jehovah Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists. The only reason they came into existence is because they predicted the coming of Christ and, and gave an actual date. And, of course, he didn't come, and, but they said they started to change their whole theory of how he came. It wasn't going to be a physical coming, it was a spiritual coming. And so... Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah Witnesses. Not saying Seventh-day Adventists are necessarily a cult. I certainly believe they are an authentic religion, but they have some differing views that make them sort of nearly pushes them into cultish views because they believe that anyone who doesn't worship on a Saturday is a harlot church, and I believe that alone will, means that the bulk of Christianity, in their opinion, is a harlot church and not the true church. Therefore, they're the only ones that have the true way. That is a perfect sign of a cult, but not to say they are because most of the things they preach outside of that um, are pretty well similar to us, except their push for the Sabbath. Yeah. Jehovah Witnesses, as we know, is just a straight-up cult. Now, however, according to Scripture, we can ascertain that Christ will indeed return. And I'm going to be presenting that today. And even gives us very clear and specific references as to the timing, not the date, so he, he will tell us the season of his return, but he doesn't give us a date. And that's for a reason, because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's holding it off as long as possible to see as many come to know him. So it's only by grace alone that he's not here yet. And what I mean is, is the moment he comes, that's the end. Everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to be thrown into eternal hell. So it's by his grace that he's holding off his return. How could anyone give a date anyway where Jesus clearly says in Matthew 24, 36 to 37, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So only the Father knows the actual date that Jesus returns. But we can know the season because Scripture has made it clear what, what it will look like when he's about to return. So as to his soon return, Jesus said this, Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that you, no one will take your crown. Hold on to what you believe. Don't let anyone strip your faith from you. That was his first recommendation in relation to his coming. Don't let anyone take what you got now. 
the things you believe about Christ, hold on. Hold on to them as if they're a life raft and you're in, a, uh, you're in the open sea and that's the only thing that's going to keep from drowning. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he'll reward each person according to what he has done. So he's coming and his reward is with him. He's going to give to all of those that believe a reward. So hold on to what you have and he's going to come. Matthew 24, 27. For as lightning that comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, you know, how it says in Matthew 24, if anyone says he's out, out here in the desert or if he's in here in the inner room, don't believe him. For as the, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so is the coming of the Son of Man. We've got to remember that Jesus is going to come and it's going to be a spectacle, his coming. And we will know without a shadow of a doubt that it's him because it, the sky is going to be lit up. And we're going to see him on clouds traveling at tremendous speeds and the whole earth will see him, every single person. It's not because it's getting, you know, CNN's reporting on it or anything like that and the TV's, you know, all over the world are reporting on it. You know, that will be happening too. But the coming of Jesus is going to be a spectacle that everyone will see without the technology that we have. Matthew twenty four thirty. it says, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Some theologians speculate that that's going to be the sign of a cross in the sky. And all the nations of the earth will mourn when they realise that as a nation, I'm not saying as an individual because there's individuals in every nation that believe, but as a nation they have rejected Christ. And when all the nations of the earth see Jesus coming, they're going to realise we've rejected this guy and he is the king, he is God, he is real, he lives and here he is, coming in power and glory, and not just glory, but great glory, with the angels of heaven behind him, and there's not an army on earth that can stand up against him. And here he is. They're going to mourn. They're going to realise that if he's real, hell's real, and I'm going to go there because I've rejected him. That's what's going to go through their mind. That's going to be a terrible day for them. At that time, the... The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Matthew 24, 36 to 39 says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah. So it would be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and swept them all away, took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So that's how it's going to be. It's going to be a time where people are going to be just you know, carrying on as if it's going to be like this for, the, for all eternity, and Jesus is going to return and catch them unaware. And as it was in the days of Noah. Now, what was happening in the days of Noah? <laughs> there was the Nephilim were on the planet. And that's a serious thing. That's the truth. The Nephilim were on the planet. And the reason why the flood came was because they were just destroying the planet. And people were bloodthirsty. You know, we're heading towards a day where people were going to be just, you know, entertainment that we have is not going to be good enough. They're going to be lusting after blood. It happened in Rome. You know, they lusted after blood to the point where they put gladiators to fight in the arena, mm-hmm. you know, fight to the death. And the people were in ecstasy mm-hmm. when they watched this, the ultimate of entertainment. And, you know, we're travelling towards that at the moment. You know, look at the ring fighting they have now. 
what's it called? Um, UFC. Yeah. UFC. It's you know it's closing in on that to the point where they used to just let you let them beat each other to a pulp until the guy's knocked unconscious and he won. You know. North Korea, they even have public executions. They mm. come, you know, come and view it. Stadium bigger than the MCG. Yeah. Watch, watch the executions. Yeah. It's a spectacle. It's like um, it's for two thousand years that's been going on. Mm. It's only in Western countries that have been founded on Christian principles that that sort of stuff stopped. You know, in England, up in fifteenth century, they were burning people at the stake and hanging them public publicly. Mm. So Matthew twenty four forty two. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So that's now he's giving that as a bit of advice to the believers. Keep watch, watch for the signs. Now, when he's saying keep watch, he's not just saying stand outside and look at the sky all the time. What he's saying is, is read the scriptures because I've clearly given you indications of when I'm going to return. And we will talk about that when we do some eschatology on, uh, and study the end time scenarios so that we can get a real clear picture of, you know, how close we are to the coming of the Lord. John and I have been studying it quite a lot and there's a number of things that must take place before he's coming so that it can't be yet. Yeah. It has, there's a few things, that, uh, a few wars that have to happen and a few nations that have to rise up and dominate yet that will uh, indicate that, you know, Jesus is soon to return. And I think one of the key ones is that Jerusalem itself will be surrounded by every single nation on earth and they'll all be declaring war. Of course, they'll be building siege works against Jerusalem. And at that time, Jesus is going to come and and put a stop to it. He's going to fight for his people at that moment. Anyway, Matthew 26, 64. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, he's referencing clouds of heaven. So his clouds are going to be his chariot. They're going to be amazing looking clouds. They might be like the little flimsy things we see these days. It's going to be just the most awesome cloud. And it's going to be like something that's going to carry the Lord. And nothing will be able to stand up against the power of this cloud. So it's not going to be a wimpy cloud, a little misty cloud. (laughs) All right, Mark. 8, 36 to 38. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Just listen to that. What good is it for the man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What that's saying is if you just focus on just building treasure on earth and and making money and building up popularity and and big massive businesses and like like these guys, you know, uh, Rupert Murdoch and that, no matter how much money they make, they always want to make more. And the more businesses they get, the more they want how can you stop that sort of lust for wealth? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, all these guys, you know, um, they've just, they just want more, more, more. How big can you get? How many billions can you continue to make? When is enough? But what they're sacrificing is their soul. Their very soul is being forfeited because of their, they want to gain the whole world. You know, one of the things that the driving forces behind most dictators is world domination. They want to gain the whole world. Hitler was a classic example. He wanted to gain the whole world, yet he, if he didn't turn to Christ, and I, we have no reason to believe he did, he forfeited his soul, mm-hmm. even to the point of wanting to kill God's people. So or what can man give in exchange for his soul? What would they give for their soul? What would they have? You know, how many people today, if they were offered world popularity and the, being the biggest music group in, in the world or whatever, how many people put their hand up and say, yeah, I'll give you my soul for that? 
you know, they, they say it. And um, kids today, you talk to the little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? A famous singer. <laughs> they want to be famous. Want to be famous. Everyone wants to be famous. Everyone wants to be famous. They don't realise that fame comes at a cost. But, and that's the culture we live in. They, they, it makes us, it makes everyone desire fame, desire riches. Yeah. Or what can man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, if you're standing among adulterous, sinful people and you're ashamed of Jesus and you're not going to confess His name and you're embarrassed that to be, you know, if someone prays and you're embarrassed, why is he praying in this situation? Can't you see this is sinful and adulterous people? You know, we should be, you know, we shouldn't pray in front of them. No, speak the word of God out boldly. Be be confident in him because Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him. You don't want him to be ashamed of you because you weren't man enough or woman enough to stand up and declare, yes, I believe in Jesus and I don't care if you don't. And yeah, come on, tease me. I don't care. It's my Lord you're talking about. He's much greater than you. You know, when he comes, he's going to embrace me and you're going to be the ones that are going to feel ashamed. You know. Mark 13, 26 to 27. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven, heavens. Now, did you know that that is the clearest reference to the rapture in all of Scripture? There is no clearer reference to the rapture in, in all of Scripture. And you know what? This is the one Scripture I've never seen a pre-tribulation rapturist who believes that the rapture occurs prior to the tribulation. I've never heard one of them quote the Scripture. I've read a lot of books, they don't quote it because it destroys their case for a pre-tribulation rapture. Mark 13, 26, 27 says, At that time, and if you read what happened just prior to that scripture, it's talking about all the things that happen in the end and all the tribulational things that occur. And then it says, at that time, in uh, Matthew 24, when it references very similarly, it, it says, and after these things, not before, not during, but after, right? And it says, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and great glory. And at that time, he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So that's the that is the rapture right there. So he gathers those that are living. And not only that, he gathers all those that have died in him. So the resurrection occurs then. And we're also transformed into our imperishable bodies at that moment as well. It all happens in one moment, the coming. What the pre-tribulation rapturists will say, oh, there's another rapture. It occurs prior to that. It's not scriptural. It's just because, it, it, because this doesn't fit in with their theology, they go and create new theology, which is not scriptural. But I'm going to talk about that in great detail because there's not just that one scripture. There are There is so many scriptures that support a post-tribulation rapture it is a very controversial subject and the standard church in the West is very heavily set on pre-tribulation rapture. They've got their bent, their, their slant is towards that um, and to the point where they actually think that post-tribulationists, uh, there's something wrong with us. 
you know. But I just simply can't accept it or adopt it because it's not in Scripture as far as I'm concerned. I've read all the literature. I've read all the Scriptures. I just can't accept it because I don't see it. I only see post-tribulation. Mark 14, 61 to 62. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. There's a lot of references to that, isn't there? Luke 9, 26 to 27. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words when the Son of Man comes, I'll be ashamed of he when he comes in the, his glory and in the glory of the Father and, and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 28 to 30. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Does that sound like today? Just going on, business as usual. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be revealed just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. What that's referencing is at the rapture, Fire will be rained down from heaven. So it's referencing a destruction. Now, if you read the bowls of God's wrath, the seven bowls of God's wrath, it's it sounds like well, it's said in scripture these are the last these are the last part of the tribulation. This is when He just basically flattens everything, destroys everything, and that's what's going to take place at the rapture. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's pre-tribulational. That's not referencing nothing to do with that. It's just saying that when the final crunch comes. That's when we're going to be raptured. Luke 21, 25 to 28. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Who watched that video? Some, 2012, something is going on. Yeah. If you watch that video, you really see the fulfillment of the scripture taking place, even right up to the present moment there is roaring and tossing of the sea and people are you know in anguish and perplexity at this men will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken things will be falling out of the sky you know like the um, the stuff that's going on in the even they say cosmically there is so much unrest going on out there in the universe at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So again, we're referencing that when we see these things, when we watch and see these things, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We're seeing these things taking place even this year. In this video, it really made that clear. Lift up our heads, guys. We've got to lift up our heads and know that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. Luke 18.8. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When he comes, when he gets here, is he going to find faith? Well, I believe he will because there's going to be a rapture. So he will find in among his people or a certain remnant of his people, he will find people of faith. But I still reckon, I believe, like the way the world's going, there's going to be only a remnant left. As we've discussed in, in many... Uh, people who hold what they claim to be Christian or claim to have a kind of faith, when you question them about their faith, they don't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead or they don't believe that Jesus is God. And when you say, well, why do you call yourself a Christian? 
and they say because I believe a Christian is a good person. Their, their theological understanding of Scripture is just the pits. They really don't know what they believe. Mm. And I think, was it you that was saying that one of your friends said that I believe in evolution and then you said to her, well, can you explain to me evolution? She goes, I don't know how to explain it. She doesn't really understand evolution. She just says oh, it must be true because everyone says it is. So her, she believes that's the truth, but she's never even looked into it to make a, you know, a proper decision in relation to it. And so they're building their faith on insubstantial evidence. There's, there's no evidence required for them to believe it. John 14, 1-4, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's going to come back. His promises is going to take us to be with him. Isn't that good? You know, Jesus is coming, guys. It's clear in Scripture. Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And if you read prior to that, he was lifted off the earth while they were watching him and he, a cloud hid him from their sight. So he was like taken up like lightning right before their eyes. Acts 3.19-21, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And this is a word for everyone. Jesus is coming. Repent then. Get right before God. Repent. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that they may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. So the time is coming for God to restore everything, restore order to the earth. Not the new world order. I'm not talking about that sort of order, which is a dictatorship of a, the Antichrist is coming to uh, take control of the whole earth. And he'll only have a short period of time to do it in. During the tribulation, seven-year period of dictatorship. But he must remain in heaven until the time comes from God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 1 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He's going to be revealed. And in the meantime, we don't lack any spiritual gift. We've got enough gifts in us in the sense of gifts of wisdom and knowledge to be able to function as Christians and hold to the faith and stay the faith. 1 Corinthians 4 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. What I believe he's referencing here is someone's condemnation should not be judged before the appointed time in the sense that we don't know who's going to turn to Jesus at the last moment. The judgments we can make is according to Scripture. If you continue to confess no faith in Jesus and you die holding to that confession, you will not be saved. We can make that judgment because the Bible gives us clear reference to that. But we can say to them, but if you turn to him, even at the last moment, you'll be saved. And so we pray that they will take that. So he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Every time we have communion, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And he's coming. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 26. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. He's coming to destroy all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Did you hear that though? Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. So what that is referencing there. He's going to be a thousand years apiece. Jesus is going to be reigning on David's throne. He will get all. He will de- destroy all dominion, authority, and power. He will have all of that on the throne of David. And everyone. And it says in the after the thousand years apiece, there will be an uprising, and they'll come and attack Jesus and at, uh, in Jerusalem. And at that time, he will destroy them completely. Mm. And then judgment will come. And after that, the kingdom will be handed over, it says, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. So for that thousand years that we are with Christ during the thousand years of peace, you know how we've been waiting for the Lord's coming, the coming of Lord Jesus, the second coming? That's what we've been, 2,000 years. There's going to be 1,000 years where we're going to be waiting for the coming of God the Father. And that is going to be the most amazing time, you know. We thought the coming of the Lord Jesus is going to be great, and it's going to be great. There's going to be no comparison to that event but when the coming of the father that's going to be wow this is eternal life the father's here with us now it's going to be a magnificent day when the father comes said this last enemy death is destroyed after the millennial reign of christ so he for he must reign go back on that scripture for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death And if you read in Revelation 20, it talks of the uh, God just picking up death and Hades or death and hell and throwing it into the lake of burning sulfur. So death is destroyed forever after that thousand years. And that is when God the Father comes after that time. As Pastor Joe pointed out, during the millennial reign of Christ, we'll be looking forward to the coming of God the Father to reign forever and ever with his son. I loved it when he pointed that out because I'd never considered that that uh, yeah we could, that's going to be a thousand years of of hope for the coming of the father even though we'll be very satisfied with Jesus like you know we can spend eternity with Jesus no problem but to have God the father there and you know what it says no one can look upon the face of God and live so we will have to be transformed into some new creature which is going to be our imperishable bodies to be able to just look upon or behold the father without disintegrating into a nothing Okay, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious bodies, be like his glorious body. So we're going to be transformed and we're going to have a body which will be very similar or if not the same as what Jesus has now in heaven as a, from a physical aspect. The physical body that Jesus is, has in heaven is imperishable, cannot perish. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, did you catch that? He is your life. He holds you together. 
Laminin. 1 Thessalonians 1 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And I believe the wrath that he's talking about is not a wrath of tribulation, because it says through many tribulations you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there's, you know, many people have been swept away in tribulation in the past who have been believers. But the wrath he's talking about, the coming wrath, is hell or the lake of burning sulfur. He's going to rescue us from that. That's the eternal death. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And he's talking about the glory and joy of other believers. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's, what he's saying to us here, may your whole spirit, soul and body kept blameless, meaning holy. Keep yourselves holy. Keep yourselves pure. 1 Thessalonians 4.15-5.4 to 5, 4, it says, According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So the dead in Christ will rise first. So those that believe in Jesus and have died in the last 2,000 years will be raised up and taken up to be with Jesus. Then we who are still alive will be caught up, Uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness. Now, I want you to really catch this last uh, sentence. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We're not in darkness so that we should be surprised by the coming of the Lord. Because that's why he says watch, so that, you're not, that, so that you're ready for his coming. Who's heard of the doctrine of imminency? Yeah? John has? When Michael told Daniel to go his way for these things, which are end-time prophecies, are sealed up until the time of the end, and what he's talking about, Daniel received these prophecies, prophetic things that are going to take place in the last days. And then Archangel Michael said to Daniel, go your way for these things, these end time prophecies are sealed up until the time of the end, meaning you can't understand them now. Don't even try to. Because it was like 3,000 years ago, got no chance of understanding them because you need to be living in those days to, to understand them. So as they begin to make more sense... So, and this is now referring to us. As these prophecies make more sense, because we are nearing the end, we will be able to accurately discern the timing of his coming. 
But we're not going to discern the date, we're just going to discern the timing. So the reason we can do this is because God has made it very clear in Scripture that the things that will take place before he comes, he's made it very, very clear. And I'm just going to just quickly finish this one point. The teaching of the imminent coming of the Lord says, while no one knows the time of Christ's return, he may come at any moment and it is possible that he might come today. Right? Christians are teaching that Jesus could come today. However, prophecy teaches us that Jesus can't come today because there's too many things that must take place that are scripturally uh, have not been fulfilled. So you can't say he can come any day when there are prophecies that have to be fulfilled before he comes or else he would come with all these unfulfilled prophecies. That means the word of God would not be true, wouldn't it? Has Jerusalem ever been surrounded by every nation on earth? Has it? No? No. So that's one prophecy that has to be fulfilled before he comes. And actually that's a prophecy that must take place right prior to his coming. So any you can't have this doctrine of imminency does not wash with me because I don't find it in Scripture. So 1 Thessalonians 5.4, and this is what I was reading before, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this they should surprise you. So... We shouldn't be surprised. If we study these things, we will not be taken by surprise. We will not, he will not come like a thief to those that are looking for his coming. You know, we might expect him in a week, but he might come today, but after those things have taken place. So once they've taken place, then we can expect him any moment, and we've got to watch for him, his coming. But you cannot say he can come at any moment because that's theologically inaccurate. You know, Scripture must be fulfilled then he comes. They must all be fulfilled, everything. So for those who stay awake and watch, his return will not be imminent or unexpected. The imminency is referring to those who are not watching and unbelievers. So the, 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 imminent, the unexpected return will come upon those that don't believe in Jesus and also those of us who aren't watching and not reading the prophetic elements of the Bible and, and, and watching things on the news unfold that speak of things that are prophetic. So I'll tackle that subject, uh, the subject of the rapture, more clearly in the next doctrinal sermon as well. So I'm not going to go any further with that because there's a bit too much. The one last thing I just want to point out, though, I'm just going to finish with this, though. 2 Peter 3.3 3 says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the coming he promised? Where is the coming? They'll be mocking us. They'll mock Christians. Where is Jesus? He said he was going to come. He hasn't turned up. I don't reckon he's ever going to come. That's, you're believing in this vain fairy tale. But 2 Peter 3.8-10 goes on which is just after that scripture it says but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day so two thousand years to jesus is like two days in heaven if he wants it to be he's outside of time he's inside time but outside of time as well he's gone so he really doesn't get affected by time so the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's holding off coming. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
So that sums up. Remember, guys, he's coming. You're believing in the truth, in, the, in a Lord that is soon to return. Everything in Scripture points to it. And he's coming. He definitely is coming. Who's convinced? Yeah, amen. All right, so next time I'm going to be looking at the rapture of the church, the wrath of the Lamb, his millennial reign and his everlasting reign. And also in the coming up in the doctrinal series, we're going to study, uh, once Christology is finished, we're going to study theology proper, which are the attributes of God, which I'm really looking forward to that because it's some, some great stuff among all that. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I just pray that uh, this long sermon really uh, um, touched the hearts of everyone here, and I pray that you really move in them to uh, really expect you, Lord, um, and speed your coming through our prayers, but also, Lord, that we'll, um, we'll really lay hold of this truth of, of watching and being uh, sort of mindful that you, of your coming and looking for the signs that will indicate that you're getting closer. And so, Lord, I pray that you reveal to us these signs, that you'll help us to see things that are taking place, um, help us to cross paths with people maybe who know uh, various things like Joe Schimmel and guys like that who are really studying the times and are seeing things unfold and are making your people aware. So I just pray that um, you'll help us to stay informed and stay very connected and keep watching and not fall asleep. As the word says, we don't want to be like the foolish virgins that aren't ready for your coming um, and had to run back to get oil. But uh, we want to be well oiled, well stocked up so that we can um, be waiting for you and just so joyful to see you when you come. And so we just praise you, Lord, and we thank you that you came the first time and we look so much more forward to your coming. And uh, we just pray that you will come soon. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.